Amen. Please be seated. Open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. Let me know immediately if you need help finding this text. (laughs) We we have to have some special counsel for you. Genesis chapter 1. Going to begin tonight a, uh, a, a I was calling it 10 great chapters from the Bible, but uh, as I was sitting at home this afternoon, I thought a better idea that I can steal from somebody smarter than me is God's big story. God's big story. What we want to do for the next 10 weeks is simply survey our way through the Bible, looking at 10 crucial chapters that really tell the story of what the Bible is about and what God is trying to express in His Word. And so we're going to begin tonight in Genesis 1, the creation of the world. And what we want to see tonight is we're going to, to center our thoughts around the, the, the idea that, that God had a purpose in creation. What was God's purpose in creation? What is it that God has, why did God create? Why did he decide to do this? Especially when we think about the fact that God knew ahead of time with perfect clarity and even destined ahead of time with perfect clarity for everything to happen that has happened. History has not caught God by surprise. This is his plan. And, and his plan, his purpose is important enough for all of the things that we see going on around us in the world and in the history of man to have occurred and to be part of it. And we want to think about that tonight and begin to think about that through the creation story. And so the text that I'm going to read to you tonight is going to be quite a long reading, but I, I want to do this. I'm going to read the entire chapter of Genesis, and I'm going to read the first three verses of chapter two as well, which is maybe a surprise to Nancy. I'm not sure if I told you that or not, but this is, uh, this is the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord is saying. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it, be, let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. 
And let them be lights, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heaven and to everything that creeps on the earth, Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, And he rested on the seventh day from all of the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us. Uh, These folks don't need to hear me. They need to hear you. And so please speak to us out of your word tonight. Help us to understand your purpose and to be fired anew by our part that you've assigned us to play in it. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in high school, which is an increasingly long time ago now, when I was in high school, I signed up for a class in journalism. And uh, one of the first things that we were taught in the journalism class so many years ago has stuck in my mind. You know, you can, you know, 
that learning has worked when all these years later you can still remember something, right? So in journalism, what they taught me was that if you want to write a good story, you have to answer some questions. And the questions are who, what, where, why, when, and how. There you go. See, some of you have taken journalism as well, I see. You can write a wonderful story that is very entertaining. You can write a wonderful story that's very informative. You can write a wonderful story that's moving emotionally. You can write a wonderful story without answering those questions, but there's one thing that the story will not be, a good journalistic story. Because in journalism, you wanna convey the facts, you wanna give the information, you want to bring across the who, the what, the where, the why, the when, the how, the purpose of the thing that went on, an exhaustive understanding of the thing that you are describing. And the Bible is God's exhaustive description of a certain thing. And it isn't the story of the earth. The Bible is an exhaustive description of who God is. You see, because that's the big idea in the Bible. The big idea is for us to see who God is so that we may know him, glorify him, and enjoy him forever. And it really begins right here in this first chapter of Genesis. If we have a big idea that we're dealing with tonight, and we always have a big idea, don't we? So the big idea is that God created everything for the good purpose of making himself known. God created everything around us for the purpose of us coming to know who he is and seeing his glory and seeing his greatness. Now, there are several ways that we could approach a study of this first chapter of the book of Genesis. Uh, when, we, when we come to this, especially in recent years, the, a good approach has been to use this as a place to establish the authority of the Bible. Uh, because of what has happened in the last 150 years, 200 years with Charles Darwin and the theory of evolution and uh, science progress with geology and paleontology and all of that, many times those who stand before us and help us and teach us feel that they need to start with a defense of the Scripture. They feel that it's an important thing to, to uh, prove to you that these uh, uh, things that, the God, that God has written into the Scripture are not in conflict with science or in somehow are in superior to science. And that's a good thing to do. And I'm not criticizing that. I think there's a place for that. And we certainly do need to, to understand that God has spoken truly and accurately in our Bibles. But I'm just going to assume that you all believe that tonight. Can I make that assumption? I believe we all hold that to be true, that God has spoken truly and accurately in our Bibles. So I don't want to take us through a study of this chapter from that point of view. As valuable as that might be, and as much as there is a place for doing that, I don't want us to look at it that way tonight. Tonight what I'd like us to do is ask a different set of questions. We want to find out not the how, because that's what that would be answering. If we took that approach tonight, we'd really be talking about how God created and uh, let me just tell you that uh, you, can, you can rely on your Bible. You can read this at its plain sense, literal uh, understanding, and you will get everything out of it that God has put into it. Now, don't think we need to go through great gymnastics about that. Once we've 
come to the place where we accept the fact that our Bible is true and that God has spoken truly to us. So we don't want to answer the how question tonight. Tonight we want to answer the why question. Why did God create? Given that God created, given that God has this tremendous power, that he has this fabulous uh, uh, ability, understanding, uh, wisdom, and knowledge to be able to speak into existence the marvel of the physical cosmos that we see around us, to say nothing of the other half of the universe that we can't see where the angels are. Given the fact that God has the power and wisdom to do that, a good question that we need to ask ourselves is, why did he do that? Why was it so important to him to create that he went to all of this trouble to create a beautiful physical universe knowing that sin would enter in and would in some sense mar the perfection of his creation so that you can still see God through the creation, but somehow sin has come in and damaged it? Why wouldn't God just say, you know, if that's what's going to happen, why should I even bother? Well, God has done this intentionally so that he can do something very specific. Now, I want to suggest to you that what he's after is to reveal himself to creation, to creatures that he has given the ability to be able to enjoy him and appreciate him. God wants us to know who he is. Now, where do we find this in Scripture? Well, I'm going to go through the text tonight by using uh, three questions to help us ferret out uh, the purpose of why God did the, uh, uh, created and, and what he did. And the three questions I want to ask tonight are, first question, what was God doing before he created? What was God doing before he created? Do we have any information on that? And then we want to ask, what was God doing in creation? What was his purpose in creation? And then the, the final question we're going to ask tonight is, what has God been doing since creation? And as we study these three questions and ask ourselves these three questions, I believe we'll find something helpful for our soul. So let's begin in verse 1, where we ask ourselves the question, what was God doing before creation? You ever thought about that? It's worth thinking about because you have to have a context so that you can understand what God has done. So when we come to this famous statement, I mean, we've got this, this is, this is probably the most famous line out of the Bible, isn't it? It's John 3.16 would give it a run for its money. But if you said to people, what does the Bible say? The first thing that would pop into many people's minds is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, that's a tremendous statement, isn't it? Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Do you know God does not open his scriptures by proving his existence? You might think that God would start with proving his existence. God says, no, my existence is obvious. As we're going to see in our lesson tonight, the existence of God is obvious from the creation. God doesn't try to prove his existence. He just says, in the beginning, I created. What a tremendous statement. But our minds will naturally, if we're curious at all, think, well, what was before the beginning? Because if the beginning is the beginning of the physical universe, if the beginning is the beginning of the creation that we see around us, what was God doing before that? 
Well, some people think that that's a, a, a question that we don't really need to ask. But since the Bible does tell us what God was up to, then it must be okay to ask the question, and it must be okay, that it must be true that we need the answers. Did you know that God tells us what he was up to before he created? Let me take you through a few verses that tell us what God was doing. And these verses will form the context for understanding the purpose of God's creation. So first of all, the first verse that I want to take you to is John 17, 5. Jesus speaking to the Father on the night he was betrayed in his prayer says, And now, Father, glorify me with, in your own presence with the glory that I had before you created the world. Before God created the world, the members of the Trinity were enjoying glory together. You know, the members of the Trinity, one God in three persons. Nobody would ever invent this. This has got to be a God thing, this doctrine of the Trinity, because no human being would invent that. If there were a bunch of people sitting around in a room saying, let's invent a new religion. Okay, let's say that God is one and we'll say that he's three at the same time. Can't you hear the people around the table? No, that'll never work. You can't tell them that. Nobody will ever believe that. But God said, yes, that's the way it is. And the glory of this is that before creation, all three members of the Trinity, one God in three persons, were glorifying each other and enjoying each other. You see, God needs nothing. God didn't create because there was something missing. God didn't create because there was some, something lacking that he just felt in his soul, you know, that I've just, just got to have this one thing more. No, God is completely satisfied within himself. And for all of eternity, the members of the Trinity have been completely happy and glorif in glorifying each other and satisfied with each other. And Jesus says, here's one of the things that was going on before the creation. God was glorifying himself. He was being glorified in himself. There's something else that God was doing. Did you know that God created the angels before he created the physical universe? You say, Pastor, where do you find that out? Well, let's look in Job 38, verses 4 through 7. Job 38, 4 through 7 gives us an indication that the angels were already on site when the, when the physical creation was being, uh, was being uh, invoked and, and uh, put into action. Job 38, 4 through 7 says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job has been uh, saying, Boy, if I could just argue with God, I could prove my case. And God says, Really? Where were you? When I laid the foundation of the earth, I, I didn't see you around, Job. He said, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On, on uh, what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Now, that phrase, sons of God, in the Old Testament is a reference to the angels. That's one way that that is used. And so what God is telling us here in his word was that the angels watched him do the creation. Isn't that fascinating to think about? That the angels were already witnessing God? You know, the angels are created beings too. 
The angels are not like God. Don't think of God in the same way that you think about angels. Only God has eternally existed. Only God himself. But the angels are created beings, but they were created a little bit before us. So that when God began to do the physical creation, the material universe that you and I are witness to and are a part of, the angels were singing and saying, my, isn't it glorious what God is doing? Isn't that a wonderful thing that God is doing? Look, did you see how he did this? Look at what he's doing over here. Did you see that galaxy over there that he's spun into existence? See, the angels were enjoying the creation, singing, singing, shouting. The angels are shouting. The morning stars are singing, but the angels are shouting for joy. So before the creation, God created the angels. Now, I wonder if these things have anything to do with each other. If God is glorifying himself, why would he create angels? Probably, wouldn't you surmise, wouldn't you think, because he wanted somebody to witness his glory in creation. He wanted somebody to see what he was going to do and to appreciate the glory of it. So let's go a little farther. Was God doing anything else? Yes, he was. 1 Peter 1.20 tells us that Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of us who are Christians. In other words, God was planning redemption. God was planning redemption before he even created. He'd already determined that Jesus would be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, slain from before the foundation of the world. God was planning redemption. He was planning to buy us back from the sin that was coming. So God was planning redemption. What else was God doing before he created? Well, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 tells us that before creation, God was not only being glorified, God was not only creating the angels, he was not only planning redemption, God was choosing you. If you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture tells us that before he even created, he knew you and chose you as his own. Listen to what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, we need not plunge into the depths of the doctrine of predestination and election tonight. Let's simply note that the Bible says that before God created, you were on his mind. You are going to be a witness to his glory. You've already begun if you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've come to know him, you've already begun to reflect his glory. And this is the purpose for which you and I are made. And it was all planned before God even went to work and spun out the first star. Now, another thing that we're told, and this is not before the creation, 
But I want to go over to those last three verses, or those first three verses of chapter 2, because we want to see that God finished all of his work when he created. The Bible tells us that God rested from all of his work. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished all of his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. When God had finished creating, as far as he was concerned, the work was finished. When God had finished creation, as far as he was concerned, the work of all that Christ would accomplish, of your coming to know him, of everything being resolved in the final state of humanity, was a finished piece of work as far as God the Father was concerned. He says, I'm resting from all my labors. Everything is done from his perspective in eternity. Now in time, these things are still being worked out, aren't they? We're still receiving these things. We're still discovering these things. But from God's point of view, the whole project was finished on the seventh, by the seventh day, at the end of the sixth day. So what do we learn from this? Why are we told these things? And why does it matter that we recognize them? Well, our recognition of the eternality of God is essential to the proper understanding of God and his purpose in creation. We need to understand what God has done and why he has done it so that the purpose of creation will make sense to us. A.W. Tozer has famously said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, what Tozer meant by this is that our understanding of everything rests on our understanding of the greatness and the character of God. Until our minds and hearts are gripped by the realization of God's sovereignty over everything, we will never be able to live our lives according to the purpose that God has made us for. We'll never be able to fulfill our purpose in creation. Now, anyone among us who's content to rest in a shallow understanding of God's person, powers, and plans needs to come, become wide awake to the fact of who God really is. Until we realize the greatness of God, we're likely to have far too high of an opinion of ourselves and our own importance. When our eyes are finally open to these truths about God and his plan, we may finally be able to escape from the constant self-obsessed worldview that we have of our, an opinion of our own selves and seek to intentionally fulfill the purpose for which we've been created. In other words, what I'm saying is we need to recognize our small part in the project. By beginning with what God was doing before the creation, it puts in perspective who we are in the creation. You and I are bit players on the stage of a great drama that God has put together from before time, before time began. So God was doing some things before the creation. Now, let's go back and look at Genesis 1-3 and ask ourselves the question, what did God do in the creation? When God created, what did he do and what does it tell us about his purpose? I want to use just verse 3, which I think will be helpful to us. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Very simple. Very famous verse, isn't it? God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
Now, I'm not going to suggest to you that this doesn't refer to physical light. I'm not going to suggest to you that this God didn't create the light. Of course, he did. The material universe, of course, tells us about God. But one of the principles that we use when we study the Scripture is the principle of first mention. And that when something is mentioned the first time in Scripture, it's right for us to pay particular attention to it to get the clue for its significance in the rest of the Scripture. And as we read the rest of the Scripture and read this verse in the context of the rest of the Scripture, we will quickly become aware of the fact that God was talking about more than physical light when it says that God said, let there be light. Because as we read our Bibles, we find that our Bibles tell us that light in Scripture is a symbol. It, is a, it stands in for the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. And we find as we read our Bibles that darkness, which is going to be mentioned in the next verse, darkness in Scripture is representative of ignorance of God. So let me suggest to you that God reveals His purpose and creation in this verse. That what God is actually saying is, let there be light. Let there be the knowledge of me. Let somebody know who I am. I want to suggest to you that the whole purpose of the creation is that and nothing more and nothing less. That God has created so that intelligent beings who have the capacity to be able to understand him and see his glory and see his beauty and recognize him for who he is will be able to glorify him and enjoy him forever. This is the purpose of the creation. Listen to what he says. He says, let there be light and there was light and God saw the light that it is good. You know what goodness is? Things are good when they suit the purpose for which they are made. If you, if you have a good meal, what has it done? It's given you enjoyment of the flavor of the food. It's also nourished your body. It's helped you become healthy. That's good. It's good food. God says, the light of the knowledge of me is good. This is good that people will know me. And God separated the light from the darkness. Look what God does. God separates the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and morning. And these were the first day. Light and darkness cannot exist together. They can't coexist. The knowledge of God drives away ignorance about him. You know, we're living in a curious time in our world, aren't we? We're living in a time when many people are confused. Many people are confused. I wonder if you've discovered as I have, that it's useless to talk to people about the darkness. Have you noticed this? That you'll never be able to cure the problems that our society is facing today if we talk to people about the darkness? There's only one way to cure these problems. We have to talk to people about the light. Can I get an amen on that? Do you know what I mean by this? We can talk to our friends and neighbors until we're blue in the face about what's wrong over here and what's wrong over there. And what's wrong over here? And it'll make absolutely no difference to them. But if you'll talk to them about what's right, who God is, who Jesus is, what he has done for us, then there's a real possibility of the darkness being driven out because we brought the light to bear. 
Some old guy said years ago, you can either curse the darkness or light a candle. It's useless to curse the darkness, my friends. We have to light the candle. And that's what God did on the first day of creation. He lit the candle so we could come to know who he is and see what light really is. The point here is that our recognition of God's purpose in creation puts our existence into its proper perspective. We are made for this purpose. When God says, let us create man in our image, what he's saying is, I want to create a creature like the angel. The angels have this too, in a certain sense about them. That is, they have the ability to be able to appreciate God for who he is. And one of the things that separates you from your cocker spaniel, I hope there are a lot of things that separate you from your cocker spaniel. But one of the things that separates us from the animal kingdom is, as human beings, we have the ability to understand who God is. This is what sets us apart. We have the ability to know what's right and wrong. We have the ability to be able to understand the glory of God. So God has said, I've created humanity for this purpose. And when we know that, we begin to fit into our part. We begin to fit into our place. In one of Shakespeare's plays, it's a play called Measure for Measure, the Prince of Vienna pretends to be called away on business, and he leaves the charge of the city uh, under the care of an underling that he wants to test and find out whether he's worthy or not to be somebody who can handle responsibility. So the Prince of Vienna pretends that he's going out on business, but he sneaks back in disguised as a monk. And uh, he wants to see how his underling is doing. And when he comes back in and see how he's running things, in a word, he discovers that the young man is doing badly. He's, he's mishandling things. And so, of course, at the end of the play, you know what happens, don't you? I mean, you've never seen the play, but you know what happens. The prince comes back. He takes off the monk's robe. He reveals himself for who he is. And he begins to mete out justice and judgment on those who've been doing wrong things while he was gone. Now, the reason I tell you the story is because that's exactly what God has got planned. That's the plot line of what he's going to do on planet earth. Ever since the garden of Eden, God seems to be off the scene, but God's not off the scene. He's actually here. He's actually watching. He's just like the Prince of Vienna who's dressed in that monk outfit. Nobody knows who he is, but he's watching and he's taking account. And one of the things that's happened to us on planet Earth is we think we're in charge. We think we're in charge. But, and God did say, rule over, over the earth and have dominion. But when Adam and Eve fell into sin, we gave our responsibilities over to the evil one who's determined to ruin this place. Because everything that God loves, Satan hates. And so what's going on, of course, is the problem that we have in our day is that the inmates think they're in charge of the asylum, but they aren't. The story being told on planet Earth isn't a man's story. It's actually a God's story. But since sin has entered into the picture, we now have everything turned on its head. Man thinks the purpose of creation is man's glory, that we ought to be able to use creation any way we want for our blessing, for our benefit, For our greed, God says no. The purpose of creation is God's glory to be revealed in man. Now, how does this help you and I as Christians? Well, I think on a practical level, one way that it helps us 
is it actually helps us read our Bibles. If we think that the Bible is primarily a story about man, we're going to be looking to find ourselves in every story. The story of David and Goliath will be about how we should act like David. The story of Daniel in the lion's den will become a challenge to dare to be a Daniel and avoid being a lion. Now, of course, that's not what those stories are about at all. Those stories and all the other stories in the Bible are about God, about who God is. Now, we're there, we're in there, but the primary story is a God story. We're just bit players in the drama. Don't make the common error of reading your Bible backwards. Finding God in the story allows us to assume our proper place in the play and fulfills God's purpose for the play, which is to make his glory known to men and angels. Be careful how you read your Bible. It isn't primarily about you. It's primarily about who God is. Begin your Bible study always by asking the question, what is God telling me about himself? That's the place to start, and then you'll know where to fit in. Now, the last question is, what has God been doing since the creation? We find that in verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creeping things that creeps on the earth. When God had finished creating the world and all that was in it, he gave man who was made in his image the privilege of ruling over the creation that he made. But as we know from Genesis chapter 3, which we'll be looking at next week in detail, sin entered and man surrendered his dominion to the serpent until Christ returns to finish bruising the the promised bruising of the serpent's head and to overturn sin's damage. But we ask ourselves, if sin has entered in and marred the creation, is there now any purpose for that creation? Well, yes. The Bible tells us that the creation still serves the purpose for which it was made, even though it's damaged by sin. Romans 1, 19 and 20 reveals to us this present work of the creation among humanity. For what can be known about God is plain to them, says the scripture, because God has shown them, humanity, about himself. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they're without excuse. So the creation still holds man accountable because the creation still reveals who God is. Though the creation's been marred by sin, it's still glorious enough to prove to men that God is there and that he's good and that he holds all men accountable for their sins. The same book, Romans, also assures us that God has a plan to restore all things. Romans 8, 19, and 21 tells us that the creation waits eagerly, longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So what our Bible tells us is that sin's damage will someday be undone and nature will once again demonstrate the perfection of her creator. 
Now, what is the point here? The point is that our recognition of God's perfection in creation holds all men accountable before God. I used to work for Kroger, as many of you know, and I worked for a guy by the name of Richard Jett. Richard was a store manager that hired me to work for Kroger. I think it was the day I turned 16 years old, which was you had to be 16 to, to get a job in Virginia. So Richard hired me. And Richard was one of those larger than life. He was one of my dad's deacons. He was a good man, godly man. Gave up his job when Kroger said they were going to run the stores 24, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, because Richard said, I will not work on Sunday. And Richard gave his job up. It was a really good job. Richard was a wonderful guy. And Richard was also one of those guys who had this way with words. And one of the, one of the phrases that I got from Richard Jett was, we would be in a hurry doing something, you know. There's something, the boss is on his way. You always know when the boss is coming. You know, the telegraph system works. And so when the boss is on the way, you're always scurrying around to do this and do that. Richard would say, go over there and hit a lick and a promise. Go over there and hit a lick and a promise. You know what a lick and a promise is, right? You, you give it a, just to let it know who's, who's boss. You don't have time to really mess with it. But you give it a lick and a promise to let it know who's boss. And then you say, I'm coming back. And when I get back, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix your case. Give it a lick and a promise. God says to the world, I gave it a lick and a promise. You see, I let you know who I am. And one day I'm going to come back and finish the job and finish the job. And so this is where we stand right now in regard to humanity, isn't it? God has given us full warning of who he is. Everybody knows that God is there, whether they'll admit it to themselves or not. Whether they suppress that or not, everybody really knows that God is there. Because our Bibles tell us very clearly that the witness of the creation is more than enough to hold people accountable for their responsibility before God. God's demonstration of his authority in creation holds all men accountable for their acceptance or rejection of the knowledge of God, the light that he's given through his revelation of himself. It's not going too far to say that God's revelation of himself is the greatest act of creation that God has given to man. Don't take the gift lightly. If Tozer's right, and he is, that the most important thing about us is what comes into our mind when we think about God, it's incumbent on Christians to make sure that our minds are stocked with the truth about God, the God who created us. Everything else really pales in comparison to the knowledge of the God who created us. For all, who created all things for this good purpose of making himself known. Who, what, where, why, when, and how. Uh, we made a beginning tonight by discovering the why, but the remainder of the answers to those crucial questions are going to be provided as we work our way through these other nine chapters in the coming weeks. So I invite you to come along with me, and let's walk in the light. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are an awesome creator. And we thank you for the fact that you have made us the kind of creatures who can know you and see your glory and appreciate you and worship you and enjoy you. We thank you for this great privilege you've given us. And we thank you for shining the light on us so that we can come into your family. What a great God you are. Should there be anybody here tonight 
who has not yet done that, Lord, help them even tonight to cry out to you so that they can enter into the light and walk in the light. Lord, we thank you for the fact that the majority, if not everyone who's come tonight, already knows you for who you are. But grip us anew. Help us to be strengthened again in our appreciation of your greatness and of your glory and of the wonder of who you are so that we will play our part in the drama on planet Earth just as you've planned for us. Hear our prayer. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I told Nancy one song, but we're going to sing another one. Let's stand and sing (laughs) Awesome God together. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Let's pray together. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all and all God's people said. Amen. Thank you for coming. Next week, chapter three.